0: Namaste, my friends. You are listening to Beyond the Asana Yoga Podcast, your place for yoga philosophy, discussion, and insight. I'm your host, Bonham Ram. Years ago, I asked the universe to send me teachers who could help me to begin to understand the great mysteries of life and to guide me on my path of purpose. Through a series of circumstances and encounters, the universe has indeed granted my wish through the art and practice of yoga. When I was 33, I had my first taste of yoga at my town's YMCA. I got a membership there after the birth of my son to work on losing baby weight. I thought yoga would be an easy way to get back into shape. I soon realized that yoga is much more than simply exercise. And before I started looking any different physically, I began to feel stronger in my core. I mean this both literally and figuratively. The teachers at the Y have been truly a blessing and much more than simply fitness instructors to me. I have to admit I did not expect to be gifted with such experienced and skilled teachers at a YMCA in rural Maryland, but sometimes enlightenment comes from the most humble of places. I'm still a student under some of these amazing instructors, and I am also a teacher myself now. One thing that this experience has taught me is that the teacher is a student, and students are also teachers. It seems the more I learn, the more I realize how little I really know. And now I'd like to share what I've learned so far, and I invite you to accompany me on my yoga journey. For our first episode, I'd like to begin with what I call the golden heart of yoga philosophy, and that is the Bhagavad Gita. The translation I am going to be referencing is the Bhagavad Gita as it is by His Divine Grace A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada. The Gita is the sixth book of the Indian epic, the Mahabharata which is the longest poem in the world, consisting of 110,000 Sanskrit couplets, the Gita being 700 of these verses in 18 chapters. The words Bhagavad Gita mean the song of the beloved Lord, that is, Krishna, supreme personality of the Godhead. Krishna appears to Archer and prince warrior Arjuna, who is engaged in the battle of Kuruksetra in a sort of civil war between cousins, Arjuna is morally torn over fighting to the death loved ones and former teachers. Krishna appears to Arjuna as a companion or his charioteer. While Krishna is actually all-powerful and omnipotent, he does not interfere directly in the outcome of the battle. The Bhagavad Gita, Chapter 2, Verses 12-20 through Krishna, never was there a time when I did not exist, nor you nor all these kings nor in the future shall any of us cease to be as the embodied soul continually passes in this body from boyhood to youth and then to old age the soul similarly passes into another body at death the self-realized soul is not bewildered by such a change o son of kunti the non-permanent appearance of heat and cold Happiness and distress and their disappearance in due course are like the appearance and disappearance of winter and summer seasons. They arise from sense perception, O scion of Bharata, and one must learn to tolerate them without being disturbed. O best among men, Arjuna, the person who is not disturbed by happiness and distress and is steady in both is certainly eligible for liberation. Those who are seers of the truth have concluded that the non-existence, there is no endurance, and of the eternal, there is no cessation. Seers have concluded this by studying the nature of both. That which pervades the entire body is indestructible. No one is able to destroy the imperishable soul. Only the material body of the indestructible, immeasurable, and eternal living entity is subject to destruction. Therefore fight, O descendant of bharata He who thinks the living entity is the slayer or the entity is slain does not understand. One who is in knowledge knows that the self slays not, nor is slain. For the soul there is never birth or death, nor, having once been, does he ever cease to be. He is unborn, eternal, ever-existing, undying, and primeval. He is not slain when the body is slain. Chapter two, verse forty-seven through forty-eight: You have a right to perform your prescribed duty, but you are not entitled to the fruits of action. Never consider yourself the cause of action, and never be attached to inaction. Be steadfast in your duty, Arjuna, and abandon all attachment to success or failure. Such evenness of the mind is called yoga. Chapter two, sixty-one through sixty-four. One who restrains his senses and fixes his consciousness upon me is known as a man of steady intelligence while contemplating the objects of the sentence senses a person develops attachment from them, and from that such attachment lust develops, and from lust anger arises from anger delusion arises, and from delusion bewilderment of memory. When memory is bewildered, intelligence is lost; one falls again into the material pool. One who can control his senses by regulated principles and who is free from attachment and aversion can obtain the mercy of God. What I take from this is that if we live our lives without attachment to the fruits of our labor, either in the form of materialism or success slash failure, this is where we can find peace. If we can focus on the process instead of the results We are living our lives more authentically, and the blessing of the Lord, or as I like to say, the universe, will come naturally. This is an extremely difficult task task, because a symptom of the embodied soul is it must be constantly be doing something. Our monkey mind constantly chatters, leading us to negativity, judgment, worry, Insecurity, we will likely fail many times in this life and the next because we are burdened with ego and desire of the senses. This is where practicing mindfulness and gratitude comes in. Taking time to experience being in the here and now can bring a person closer to his or her place we call our true nature. We are inhibited from experiencing oneness with the Supreme Personality of the Godhead because we are embroiled in constant battle between our higher self and the monkey mind. And this is why we call yoga a practice. When we go beyond the asana in our practice, we can begin to catch glimpses, experience moments of re-remembering. Sometimes I feel like I'm not learning something new in yoga so much as remembering something I forgot. And maybe we can somehow escape the cycle of death and rebirth on the material plane by realizing our true nature. But what is our true nature? How can our 21st century minds make sense of these things? Who are we really? Author Stephen J. Rosen's book, Krishna's Song, A New Look at the Bhagavad Gita, offers insight on new ways to garner meaning in a new age of science and technology Here I have paraphrased from his work, also including in an unpublished essay by J. Paul Williams entitled, Belief in a Future Life. So who are you? In the West, we identify with our physical form and the mind-intellect that accompanies it. We respond with our name, profession, religion, political affiliation, familial connections, or our heritage. Or we respond from a psychological perspective. For example, I am rational or I am honest, but these are all things we've learned, not who we really are. If we changed our name or profession, if we acted a rational or told a lie, we would not cease to exist. The question remains, who are we beyond these changeable material designations? According to the Indian Vedic literature, we are spiritual be- beings inhabiting bodies in the world of matter temporarily. Can this ever be proven? If we look to modern science, subatomic particles have taught us much about the unseen world around us. They are accepted as real because of the effects they cause, even though they are unseen. We call this inferred evidence. Atomic stru- structure is an inference. No one experiences atoms or electrons. Yet we do not accuse physicists of irrationality when he says a solid rock is composed of tiny solar systems within in which electrons revolve at incredible speeds and around protons. Inferential logic is accepted in physics, and perhaps so should be in theology. Because we have no direct experience in our soul, It does not as- that does not force us to the conclusion that it does not exist. This is the fundamental premise upon which the Gita rests. To extend this line of thinking further into the context of modern science, the first law of thermodynamics states that all in the energy is neither created nor destroyed. If a quantum of energy pervades the physical body, then that energy must continue after the physical death. But where does it go? In the Gita, Krishna argues that People change bodies like clothes, and so the quantum of of energy simply inhabits another body, which it inadvertently chooses based on previous actions, called karma, and desire, or kama. Karma is another fundamental law of the Gita. We can see it as an extension of Newton's third law of motion. For every action, there is an equal and corresponding reaction. According to the Gita, this law survives death, So if one's actions in this life are not realized, have not garnered a commensurate reaction, then a subsequent life is created to reap all that was previously sown. Instead of using the controversial term soul in modern science, we speak of consciousness or potential non-material force within the body. All this begs the question then, am I a soul who possesses the body or a body who possesses a soul? This simple reflection on the nature of consciousness, at least, makes it clear that there is a separation between the body and the self. Vedic literature Im- implicates, implies that the con- conclusion leads to further understanding. The finger is not the body, and neither are the leg, heart, or brain. These parts do not individually or collectively tell me who I am or who they are. They are not the self or personality. None possess self-experience. It is I who experiences through them. This distinguished this distinction is further expounded in our modern English language, for the, posit- the possessive pronoun my body is something different than I. There are many, many links between yogic philosophy and modern science, and we will be discussing more of this in the future. If any of what I have said today resonates with you, please tune in again next time to the Beyond the Asana Yoga podcast. They say souls vibrating at similar frequencies vibrate toward each other. Until next time, fellow yogis, namaste.
1: Yeah.